This is Halftime Adjustments on WPXI Now. Happy Wednesday evening. I'm Albie Oxenrider. Welcome to Halftime Adjustments with Dayan Kovacevic on the other end. And we are talking real sports on the way fast. Dayan, as our producer Dean I. Pietro said, play ball, play anything. It's coming on fast, and uh, I know that you're excited and everyone's excited to get sports back, and in this case, baseball. Yeah, baseball's going to be first. Uh, Baseball will open in its own way on Friday uh, in Pittsburgh. That means at PNC Park with the Pirates taking the field. Derek Shelton is manager for what they're cleverly calling summer camp now as opposed to spring training or spring training 2.0 or any other terms that have been getting thrown around. Summer camp actually sounds like it's fun. Uh, unfortunately, it's not going to be, you know, remotely open to the public. Uh, a few of us will be in there uh, covering it and trying to share everything that we can so that readers, viewers, and listeners everywhere can, can pick up on what's happening in there with the Pirates. But it's activity, Albie. It's organized activity. Uh, and it's aiming toward an opening date of either July 23 or 24. That has not yet been solidified. Uh, The schedule is expected to come out next week, 60 games. The Pirates will be playing inside the NL Central, and then all their other games will be against the AL Central, which is not the greatest division. So there's hope, too. Don't laugh at this. No. Uh, I know it's sport to make fun of the Pirates, but 60 games last year, they were 29-31. and At 90 games last year, they were a game under 500. I mean, this is not a joke. Uh, anybody can contend. Anybody can compete. Anybody can get hot in an environment like this. The Pirates have talent, Albie. They really do. I, I know it's not cool to say that because of their payroll, but they have they have real live baseball players. And not only do they have real live baseball players, but in this 60-game format, to your point about their record after 60 and 90 games last year, a shortened season – helps the Pirates. And I, I think the longer season, the 162-game season, will expose weaknesses. Um, you can perhaps, not for sure, but you can perhaps get away with that in a shorter season. And that in itself makes this season very interesting. Not only a shortened season for everybody in Major League Baseball, but an interesting season for anybody following the Pirates. And yes, there is hope. For those reasons, no, sure, and but it also it heightens the urgency on everybody. the 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 best example anybody can give is that through sixty games last year, the Washington Nationals were one of the worst teams in baseball. Absolutely, would have missed the playoffs by a mile. They ended up winning the World Series, of course. Uh, the Pirates, as as you're suggesting here, did really well. Really well as a stretch, but they did a lot better than expectations last year. Uh, in staying two and a half games out of first place at the All-Star break, uh, they were contending. They were roaring back in games. They were exciting. They were fun. And they had absolutely no depth because the minor league system under Neil Huntington and Kyle Stark was just devastated. And it took those injuries to expose that and exposed it in the worst and ugliest way. So the collapse that you saw follow in the second half was the direct result of them having to bring up all kinds of bad players and particularly bad pitchers from Indianapolis, the Davidas Nevarowskis uh, Express, as I was calling it, that was going back and forth <laughs> right. uh, across I-70 from Indianapolis. It just a, it was a disaster. 
it costs a lot of people their jobs, but you talk to the players and you talk to them privately and they'll acknowledge that the, the coaching staff that they have in there right now, particularly Oscar Marin, the new pitching coach, my goodness, Albie, the way Joe Musgrove, uh, Trevor Williams, Mitch Keller, the way these guys were talking about Oscar Marin uh, in Bradenton this spring. I know there's always, you know, that excitement whenever there's a new coach that comes on and a lot of people will roll their eyes at that. This was legit. They were telling me specific things that this man had uncovered in their pitching, in their delivery, uh, in their execution, in their pitch selection, not pitching up enough in the zone. Um, that they felt they were really way behind the times the Pirates did under Ray Sears. They feel like there's going to be a big difference this year. One more point about this season uh, shortened by the pandemic. Uh, With all that's happened with the Pirates, Starling Marte is gone. There's a couple pitchers in their starting rotation uh, that will not be around. And and this is a way of, not for you and not for me, but in a general sense – it kind of smooths that over a little bit. It evens the playing field a little bit more than it would have otherwise. And, and um, it, it's it, in some ways, those big stories that we would have had for opening day, had it been on schedule are kind of back burner stuff now. Yeah. I mean, you're right about the, the scale being evened across the board. I saw that the, uh, the Vegas odds makers have the Dodgers, having the most wins in baseball. Of course, they also have the most money in baseball, but don't get me started on that. Uh, at 37, well, think about that for a second. 37 wins in a 60-game season. They'd be 37 and 23. They had the Pirates listed at 25.5. Uh, I don't know who they're winning 0.5 against. <laughs> I'm not sure how that works, but I guess that's a, that's a betting thing. Um, the point is the gap is, what is that, 11 and a half games between yeah. – between the the one that's projected to be a highest win total and the Pirates. Um, We're talking about a a swing of just a, you know, a a ball bouncing off somebody's kneecap and going into the outfield and you go, hey, we won the game. Um, That's what this is going to come down to. Uh, I'll throw this in, too. I mentioned casually the AL Central. Look at that division, Albie. Look at that division. The Twins won 101 games, and of course, as they always do, they got smacked out right away by the Yankees. The Indians are taking a big step backward. The rest of the division stinks on ice. Tigers and Royals were two of the worst teams in all of baseball, and the White Sox weren't much better. Those are all the Pirates' opponents. All right, and uh, it's happening. Uh, It's spring training or summer camp, whatever you want to call it. The Pirates restarting their season after their shortened spring training. All right, Dan and I will be back after this. We're talking about the Penguins and potential weaknesses in their series against Montreal. Back with more of Halftime Adjustments right after this. Welcome back to Halftime Adjustments, and as soon as the Pirates get underway, not too far in the distance, the Penguins will be looking to start camp at or around July 10th, perhaps a little bit, a few days beyond that, but uh, it is coming on fast, and they'll have a little bit of time to prepare for that 24-team playoff, the format in the return-to-play plan by the NHL. Dan, uh, we know it'll be Montreal in that play-in series. It'll be a best of five. 
Um, and as I throw the subject of potential weaknesses for the Penguins in that series against Montreal, one big one, <laughs> one, one stands above all the others, and it's not necessarily a weakness of the Penguins, but it's a challenge in facing the goaltender on the other end. Um, I guess we can include that. Uh, we can. Um, although it's been such a long time since this core group of Penguins has been intimidated by a goaltender. I think you have to go all the way back to Tuka Rask in the Eastern Conference Final a few years ago where you see a goalie that just completely weirds them out uh, and makes them start doing things they wouldn't normally do. They really cured themselves of that, I believe, in 2016 when they were facing red-hot guys, Andre Vasilevsky, Martin Jones in the final from the Sharks was unbelievable, and they just kept pummeling him. They didn't care. One way or another, some of these shots were going to go in. Um, they pushed that hard, and I think they kind of got that out of their system, meaning, again, the core guys, the ones who've been there for a while. Uh, they can make sure that the rest of the team doesn't succumb to that with Carey Price. Look, they played Carey Price you know, three times this past regular season. Uh, they beat him twice. Uh, he played well even in, in the Montreal loss, uh, but they beat him. They got goals past him. They got pucks past him. Um, they know he's, he's human. Uh, they have an immense amount of respect for him, LB. And when I say that, I'm not talking about like just in advance of the series saying nice things. They speak of Carey Price the way a lot of players do, that he is the most talented goaltender uh, in the NHL. He, of course, does not play behind the world's best defensive unit in Montreal, uh, or for that matter, the defensive structure. That's the, the way the Canadians are built, is they count on Carey Price to make a lot of saves. Um, but weakness otherwise, what you got? Go ahead. Um, I'm going to say uh, I'm going to say the same thing that many teams will be facing, and that is, as much as you'd like to think they could jump right back into it, that's it. Uh, it they're not going to be able to do it. Um, that's it. I mean, there's going to be somebody, maybe not everybody, but coming back up to speed, to game speed, and clicking, and the chemistry after a long layoff. I look at that as a weakness. You're stealing my material there, Mr. Oxenreiter. That's, that's <laughs> what I got because I'll tell you what, I, as you go through the roster and whenever anybody thinks about it, what's a weakness, what's the weakness? Is it a positional thing? I mean, for the longest time, it was, it was fun to say that it was left wing. Okay, well, you know, here's Jake Gensel and here's, you know, Patrick Marlowe who's headed into the Hall of Fame. And, oh, by the way, they picked up Jason Zucker, <laughs> a first-line winger, uh, you know, at the, at the deadline. On the right side – You've got Brian Rust. You've got Patrick Hornquist. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, and I, I'm leaving out, uh, help me out here, who, who's going to be with Sid, is, whether it's Connor Sherry in, in all likelihood, who was their, their winger on the, on, the champ, on the last championship team. The defense is as stacked as it's been for any of the recent playoff runs, meaning simply that Latang, Schultz, and everybody are healthy. Dumoulin is healthy after having had a significant injury. In goal, the goaltender who's going to be the second on the depth chart entering the playoffs, Tristan Jari, had a better year than the one who's going to be first. So there isn't anything like that. But where I agree with you 100% is that the Mike Sullivan system, all of that play the, right, play the game the right way stuff, the real quick chip and chase, the reading and reacting, multiple sticks in one location to try to make sure that you're winning puck, position, puck possession, uh, the way you support your teammates, 
Albie, that never happens for Sully's system in a hurry. It just doesn't. He is going to be challenged with the camp of a lifetime, trying to get them playing up to that level, to that speed, to that chemistry, to use your term, in a span of two and a half weeks. And maybe, I think it is a possibility that they're going to get one exhibition in before they go right into right. game one. Game right. one is the first game they play. Well, and that long layoff, it, I think it hurts them, and it hurts every team in two ways. The, the, the first is what we talked about, that they, you know, can they get out there and get up to game speed? A lot of these guys worked out on their own, but, but their ice time, even when the season begins, will be somewhat limited if you consider that they're going to be jumping right into the playoffs. Um, and and so, so on the ice and, and their actual ability to perform um, you know, there's going to be some rust to, to shake off. The second part of that is, is the chemistry thing, especially with some of the new guys. You're not going to have time to build up chemistry in that final month of the season, playing real games and building chemistry, uh, building confidence in one another. You're going to have to jump right into the playoffs. So I, I think those are the two things. But I think a lot of teams will be, if not every team, will be dealing with that. So, again, it's a, it's a level playing field, uh, if I could throw a <laughs> – if I could use football, but it's the, the ice will be level for everybody. And let's and hope think, that the ice is in fact level Albie. <laughs> if it isn't, we'll have much bigger problems, <laughs> but we know this, they'll be playing in the heat of August. And I, for one am is I'm excited for that. I through this entire layoff have wondered uh, what will it be like? Uh, I, for one, think it will be intriguing to see them playing playoff hockey especially with something that's different to what the fans are used to. No question. It'll be fun. That's, that's the one thing we can definitely uh, predict with accuracy. It'll be fun. All right. When we come back, Cam Newton to New England, changing the game. We'll be back after this with our final longer segment on halftime adjustments. Welcome back to Halftime Adjustments. Yes, Tom Brady is down in Florida, and Cam Newton will be playing with the New England Patriots. Um, I, for one, will be interested to see how he is used up there, Dan, but your thoughts uh, changing the game a bit, for sure, with Cam Newton going to New England and everything that he brings and his skill set that he brings to Bill Belichick in the offense up there. I think it's going to keep New England from being a disaster. And I think that's really about as far as I'll take it. It's been somewhat strange over the past few days hearing the Patriots suddenly elevated to contender status. Uh, let's not forget, Cam Newton really isn't coming off some hot roll here, okay, for what he was uh, getting done uh, in Charlotte. And now you look at the New England uh, offense and defense overall, they're nothing close to what they had been. Uh, I don't believe the Patriots have a chance to win the AFC East. And think about that statement alone. Uh, to me, the Bills are the class of that division. Certainly their defense is the best facet that any team in that division has. Yes. And with the way Josh Allen is progressing at quarterback, a lot of people see Allen as a guy who could be a leaps and bounds uh, type of player this coming season. I I'm one of them. And I think you're going to see Buffalo take over that division. I don't even know that New England is a playoff team with Cam Newton. Um, I think that the mystique 
the aura, the whatever it is, the terminology that you want to use as it relates to Bill Belichick uh, is so over the top that there's a presumption that if you just give Belichick anything, he's going to turn it into magic. Um, I'll ask you, Albie, how do you see him fitting into an offense that has had nothing in common with the way Cam Newton ran an offense in Charlotte all these years? Well, I, I think that they're going to have to change to Cam Newton more than Cam Newton's going to have to change But will to they? Them. Will they, though? Yeah, that's the you question. You see what I'm saying? And, yes, and, and I think that this will be the ultimate test for Bill Belichick. Uh, as we, is stubborn a good word for him, that he sticks with what he believes? And, and, no, and I, I mean, I'm not ready to criticize a guy who's done nothing. No, 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 and I don't mean that. Life. Yeah. If, 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 if stubborn, for in his case, works, then it's just right. You know, no, no, no. And I think that stubborn in a pot in a, in a, I meant that actually as a, as a compliment, he's stubborn that he will stick with what he, what has worked for him and he's confident in his ability to coach. And I, but I do think that they have to change. Let's put it this way. If you have a player like Cam Newton, why would you not build an offense around him that can play to his strengths? Uh, if otherwise, why get a player with the skill set of Cam Newton? Well, maybe you don't have an offense that plays to his strengths. See, that's the other thing here. Uh, the biggest change whenever you change quarterbacks uh, isn't just to the quarterback position, so setting that aside, obviously. It's to the offensive line. Uh, and we saw that with the Steelers. We heard some of that from their offensive linemen last season, where whenever they knew how to block for Ben, uh, even with running backs, they knew how to block for Le'Veon Bell. They had to learn a different way to block for James Conner. Right, right, right. Uh, in this case, with a quarterback who draws out the play, uh, who, will, who will move to his left or right, Albie, that is the exact antithesis of the 40-year-old Tom Brady that they were blocking for last year. I mean, this is to say, all right, well, just extend the play. Tom Brady wouldn't hold the football for more than .063 seconds. Well, let me throw this back at you then and ask you this question. Is there a better chance of the New England offense succeeding changing to Cam Newton's style or Cam Newton trying to fit into that style of offense? Oh, I don't think there's any question that the offense has to change to fit Cam. Why else right. do you get a player with his skill set? You're not going to make him all of a sudden be you know the Tom Brady level player that steps up to the line of scrimmage and reads and picks apart defenses, you're going to want to rely on the things that made Cam Newton an MVP level player with the Panthers. That's, uh, they have to do that. I guess the part of this that's kind of thrown me more than anything else is this idea that New England suddenly vaults into the AFC contending conversation. I don't believe I they don't do. I that. I don't buy that. I, 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 I look around the conference, and I, you know, obviously the Chiefs are the class of the conference with all due respect to the Ravens going 14-2. and two. The Chiefs are the ones with the rings, uh, and the Chiefs are the ones uh, with well, – they, they just got better in this offseason, and the Ravens didn't. The Ravens took a couple of steps backward. Uh, I, I look at the conference, and I, I see the Chiefs. I see the Ravens. I see the Steelers. I, I know that's, that's going to sound homerish, and I don't care. Uh, I see the Bills as being up in that bracket. The Titans are in that discussion. They're the team that knocked out the Ravens. I'm not sure the Patriots are up there. I really don't see that. Well, I would agree with you that uh, the, the Bills are the class of that division. 
And I also believe that the Chiefs and the Ravens lead the way in the AFC. And, and you have to put the Steelers in that group of, play, of teams uh, that, that, that look good for the playoffs at this point. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say just because I have an amazing amount of respect for Bill Belichick, uh, they have adapted up there. And, and one thing about New England, they're never afraid to make the move that they think can help them. And the team that you see now with New England, they, you know, they, they might be in a position to add somebody else at some point that can help them. I will never count them out, but at this point, I don't see them as a team winning that division. No, I mean, it, the other thing they do get to benefit from is that they do get four games against the, the, the Jets and the <laughs> Dolphins. I mean, or, I mean, but let's not pretend that that hasn't been a big contributing factor to New England's success over the years. The fact that they've had virtually no competition inside the division, so they can kind of use the regular season as a prep period for the playoffs. Um, I look around – I'm, I'm just going to insist that as I look around the conference right now, I don't know that there's a team other than the Chiefs that just kind of rises above. It, it is not uh, – people are elevating New England to that level. No, 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 no. That's nothing but mythology. Okay. Thank you for that. And our thoughts as we wrap up this week's edition of Halftime Adjustments right after this. Dan, we have talked about this uh, since the beginning of this pandemic. Uh, at first, things had to settle in. Everybody absorbed what was happening. And it was just such a shock to the system that all these sports were postponed or canceled altogether. Finally, finally, there's light at the end of the tunnel. And it's real light, and it's coming on fast. Yeah, and I'll tell you this. I'm taking that a step further. Uh, when it comes on, it's not going back off. Uh, these sports leagues have worked tirelessly these past two, three, four months in planning for how they would come back, including quote unquote worst case scenarios where, you know, multiple players would get infected. You know, how would that affect a single team? There's contingencies in place for everything. They're not going to stop. They're just going to keep going. You watch. All right. Well, uh, we know for sure that the Pirates will be underway on Friday. Uh, the Penguins uh, will be underway shortly into July, and then the Steelers are after that. So get ready. Thank you, Dan. I'm Albie Oxenrider. Right, be- That's Halftime Adjustments for the week. We'll see you next time.